Welcome to the Score Podcast. It's been a minute, actually a year in fact, since we've checked in with Silvio Tavares, president and CEO of VantageScore. Stating the obvious, our industry looks a lot different than it did just 12 months ago. So let's check in with VantageScore's leader and my boss, Silvio Tavares. Welcome back to the Score Podcast, where we always speak to the most innovative and influential leaders in the consumer credit marketplace. Today, we're in for a treat. We welcome back Silvio Tavares, President and CEO of VantageScore. As we record this, we're just past the second year of Silvio's tenure as VantageScore's President and CEO. And since we last spoke with Silvio, a lot has changed. Whether it's the requirement that VantageScore be used for GSC mortgages, the resumption of student loan payments, continued inflation and rate hikes, it's safe to say that it has not been a dull year. Silvio, thank you for joining the podcast for the second time. Great to be here with you, Jeff, and I appreciate the invite back. I was starting to get concerned I would never get asked back, but here we are a year later and I'm on with you again. And we are recording this from our HQ in South San Francisco, and it is wonderful. The focus that I'd like to take the podcast today is we spent a lot of time on the how, and I, I want to spend a little time on the why and the fundamental structure of the consumer finance industry. Most consumers and, and perhaps many industry stakeholders think it's as simple as filling out a loan application and you know outspouts a, a loan decision and a lender lends a person money. But there's a lot of external stakeholders and market factors that impact the decision, sometimes in a very direct way. So I want to take a step back and help people understand that and then talk about how we can course correct in areas that, that require it. So first question, what do you think a person outside of the financial services industry would be surprised to learn about the fundamental structure of consumer lending? Well, I think there are two things, one from the consumer perspective, and then, you know, secondly, more from uh, overall system perspective. The first one from a consumer perspective most people think of banks as not wanting to make loans, but the reality is most bankers desperately want to make a loan to you, whether it's for a credit card, an auto loan, a student loan, a mortgage. The challenge is obviously they want to make a loan that is going to be profitable over the long term. And the simple math for most loans is one bad loan wipes out the profit for about a hundred other good loans. So you have to be very, very careful. And so that's where we come in as Vantage Group. We help them manage that risk and understand which consumers are likely to repay that loan so that they can actually make that loan with a lot of comfort. So that's number one. But from a systemic perspective, if you think about the federal government in the United States, most people don't realize that the federal government is the number one lender in many of the most important loan categories. Good thing about that is if the federal government is setting good rules of the road that promote competition, that promote financial inclusion, that promote sound risk management, then it works. When the federal government is not, then it causes a problem. And in our industry, as it relates specifically to mortgage, the federal government historically had some flawed policies. So for example, they only allowed the FICO score to be used in the context of mortgages. That meant that there was very little competition and very large numbers of consumers were excluded from getting access to mortgages. We actually were able to change those rules. 
But it can have unintended consequences when the federal government, such a huge and powerful economic actor, doesn't set the right rules of the road. It can have damaging consequences for consumers. That lays the groundwork for for what my next question is. You would think if the federal government had such control and influence, they could flip a switch and increase financial inclusion as, as has been the stated desire for many financial institutions. I think what many lenders have found is it's not that easy. Why do you think that is? And, and how could financial institutions be better incentivized to expand their lending policies to creditworthy, underserved consumers? Yeah, well, the best thing about the U.S. federal government is that it is one of the biggest institutions in the country and in in the world. Uh, The U.S. has the largest economy by far still, and the federal government, which is a huge part of that, is really, really big. So we're a rich, wealthy, prosperous nation. The federal government is a big part of that. That's the best thing. The worst thing about the federal government, it's, it's very big and, as a result, very, very slow. And so if you think about that in the context of Vantage Score's business, Vantage Score is one of the most broadly used credit scores in the country, but it took us almost 15 years to get to that scale. And we're still the second largest, not the largest. And the reason it takes a long time is it took us a long time to change the rules for the federal government to allow us to compete. It took a long time for the banks, who are highly regulated industries, they don't want to make any changes unless the federal government is going to sign off. It took them a long time to feel comfortable using us. I'm going to circle back to that in a second. But first, I want to kind of step back and get your thoughts on a broader topic, which is that you know prior to, to Vantage Gore's existence, for all intents and purposes, our competitor enjoyed a monopoly. And there are other industries where there are monopolistic situations. But why should consumers care about monopolies out there? Well, it's a very simple answer because of choice and price, right? So consumers should care about competition because all the data and the history of large capitalist economies show that if you allow one company to control a market, then consumers lose out because they don't get choices. They don't get to have different versions of the service. The other problem is price. When you don't have competition, the one company that controls the market gets to set the price at whatever they want. And typically, that's not a very good price for consumers. And we've actually seen this in our industry. The fact that the largest credit scoring company didn't have to compete for a variety of industries meant that they had effectively a low-quality credit scoring product that excluded lots of consumers that actually the banks wanted to lend to. Secondly, that low-quality product, our competitor charged very high prices for that weren't in line with the value they were creating. So that was the unintended consequence of monopolies that were, uh, again, unintentionally sponsored by the federal government. The good news is that's changing, right? So we had the FHFA last year make a rule that effectively mandates that Vantage Score also be used for mortgages. And that's going to mean millions more consumers are going to get access for the first time to a government-backed mortgage. So it really comes down to those two things, choices and better prices. That's why consumers should care about competition. So you just 
alluded to it and did in, in a previous answer, you know, about kind of the almost Herculean effort it took to get to where we are now, which is Vantage Score being required for mortgage applications in 2024. And that required close collaboration with our owners, with members of Congress, with consumer advocates, with lenders themselves. And I don't think the people that were behind Vantage Score 16 years ago quite appreciated the level of effort it would take to get to this moment. When you step back, what are your takeaways on that effort? And if if somebody was a competitor in another market, was faced with similar barriers to entry, what lessons from our effort would you provide to them or would you talk to them about? Well, a few. I mean, the first thing that I would say is it shouldn't be this hard, right? The U.S. financial system is the envy of the rest of the world. We have the largest economy by far. We have the most number of banks. We have the largest access to consumer credit. In America, you can get a loan to buy a car. In America, you can get a loan to buy a home. In America, you can get a loan to send your kids to college so that they have a better future than perhaps you had. So all of those things are the envy of the world. And the challenge is that sometimes because our system is so effective and works so well, we forget that there's huge room for improvement. The second key thing that I would say is we have significant risks around this beautiful financial system machine that we have. The reality is that we saw during the pandemic that change can happen very, very rapidly. Another example of this dynamic of the necessity to pivot is our mortgage system. Our mortgage system is, again, the envy of the world. We have the largest residential mortgage-backed security market where lenders can offload the debt from their mortgage. We have this amazing innovation, which is called the 30-year mortgage, which enables an average person of average means to actually own their home and build wealth. So it's amazing. But the reality is the technology that's being used to underwrite loans for that was invented 40 years ago. Well, guess what? The way you build homes has changed a lot in that time. The people buying the homes has changed a lot for that time. We all know the prices have changed a lot in that time. So you got to use new technology to underwrite those loans. And yet we're still using the old technology. And that actually creates a huge systemic risk. I applaud the FHFA. I applaud Congress for realizing that we've got to innovate and bring up the level of the technology for the credit scoring system, including by using new credit scores like Vantage scores to include people and underwrite them more effectively from a risk perspective. So I think the the other thing that's changed most significantly is, is the availability of data and information. And one of the things that we constantly remind ourselves around Vantage Score is what gets measured gets done. So when you think about sort of we're in inning one of our entrance into the mortgage market, from a financial inclusion standpoint, what are the barometers you'll be looking at to indicate success? What gets measured gets done. It's absolutely true, Jeff. And we have to think about what are the right metrics for success. One of the biggest metrics that we need to monitor in terms of financial inclusion is the racial wealth gap, and specifically the racial mortgage gap and racial home ownership gap. 
I think the Urban Institute has published data that suggests that the wealth of the average black household is about one-tenth the wealth of the average white household. So those are metrics that we have to keep an eye on. What I think all Americans want is a system which creates wealth and opportunity for everyone. And unfortunately, too often in the past, the system has been set up to favor one group over another. And even though I think in most respects, that's not intentional anymore, a lot of those systems are still in place from 100 years ago. So I would say that's the biggest number we got to keep our eye on is what is that racial wealth gap between people of color and the average American. And uh, we're going to be looking at that really, really closely going forward. I should add, Jeff, that you know we've invested technology spend in providing the data that policymakers and bankers need to be able to measure financial inclusion. We've got a tool on our website called Inclusion360. We launched it a little over a year and a half ago. And it actually shows you all the census tracts, all the congressional districts, all the states, and it actually shows the opportunity to increase lending by racial group across the country so that basically you've got a heat map as to how you, as a policymaker, as a bank, as a lender, how you can actually move the needle and close that racial wealth gap. It's a great point at the end there because uh, we'll be updating Inclusion 360, and as that heat map changes, that'll be a reflection of, of where we are in this effort. Absolutely. And, you know, Jeff, the thing that I would say is we really, really believe in math here at Vantage Score. And so for the folks that are listening, if you haven't gone and checked out our website in some time, you should, because what you will find is data and analysis on almost every aspect of financial life in America. We talked about Inclusion 360, but, you know, one of the things that's changing pretty constantly is interest rates. The Fed Reserve, the central bank, is using interest rates to manage this goal of having a soft landing but lending activity is changing constantly. And so we have something called Vantage Score Credit Gauge, where we publish every single month how are banks lending. It also shows how consumers are doing in terms of their delinquency rates by credit card product. We have another tool called Vantage Score Risk Ratio, and it tells you how the delinquency rates across various credit products have changed over time. And so if you want to learn about student loans and how that's going to impact people's credit scores and borrowing activity. We published analysis on that. So the key insight is all the data, all the insights you need are on the Vantage Score website. And we do that to enable people to make good policy decisions and good underwriting decisions as they're managing their lending business. And uh, you should take advantage of it. By the way, all the tools that I mentioned are open access and available to any visitor to our website. Let's end it there, Silvio. Really appreciate you joining the podcast today. Thanks, Jeff. And let's not wait another year. We should talk more often. Absolutely. 248,000. I'll say it again. 248,000. That's the median amount of home equity that the typical homeowner has in the United States right now. And that's great. Home equity has helped send kids to college fund adult education, provide startup money for small businesses, and it's helped millions of older Americans retire comfortably. But because many of the issues discussed during this podcast, that opportunity to harvest the benefits of homeownership has not been provided on an equal playing field. 
We could point fingers, and many have, or we can honestly examine our system and course correct. I'm for the latter. I'm Jeff Richardson, and I look forward to our next conversation. The views and opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of VantageScore Solutions. Visit VantageScore.com to learn more.